I'll tell you the moments where it becomes clear to me. I think one of the biggest moments where I feel like, oh yeah, I do have some leadership skills is when I get to be a part of somebody else thriving. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody who is hearing the sound of my voice. I am so, so, so happy that you chose to join me today on Closing the Gap. This is where you get real world discussions from real experts who not only know their stuff, but they can do the stuff. They can make sustainable change with you. And I am so excited. I know I say that every week. I know, I know, I know for broken record, but my guest today, Deanna Singh is just an awesome, awesome, awesome individual. Not so much because she knows the work around creating workplaces and communities that are about change and giving equity in the community and the workplaces that they are. But she has built her practice around really focusing on sustainable change. How do we start? How do we keep it going? And once that we've got that momentum going, how do you continue to create a high-performing, inclusive workplace? So let me tell you a little bit about her. Deanna is a highly respected thought leader who has spent almost 20 years researching, I know, researching, designing, and building. So she learned it, she can design it, and she can do it. That makes the complex social and business challenges a little bit easier because now you have the vision, you know what the resources are, you know what to follow up on and ensure follow through. And you know, if you've heard me speak, those are the four things that any executive really has to focus on in an organization. Where are we headed? What are the resources? And resources are time, attention, remember that thing called attention, and then cost. But too many times we think too much in terms of cost and not the other two. But Deanna, she travels the world, inspiring and educating audiences through really good storytelling. And you know, if you've heard me, storytelling is what inspires us and motivates us when things get hard. And she's a master at that. She has an interactive presentation style that combines her personal stories with authenticity, enthusiasm, vulnerability, and humor. And she can take, you know, the audience, she can make all of this work a memorable journey that is absolutely remarkable and that people walk away going, wow, we did it and it was worth the journey. She has worked with companies like GE Healthcare, Harvard, Ascension, Northwestern, Mutual, Women Lead, Global Change, Rockwell. I mean, just a host of places. So, you know, I'm not the only one singing her praises. Her clients are singing it. The bigger world of thought leadership in this area of designing high-performance, inclusive cultures are singing her praises. And I am so honored to introduce you to Deanna. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Denise. It's wonderful to be here with you and with your audience. Thank you. Okay, guys, sit back and relax because we're going to dig deep 
into this whole conversation about how do you make change sustainable and what's the essence of what that does? So how do you start it? How do you get the momentum? And as I said before, when you look back over it, you go, wow, we did something that really changed the face of the world, creating that high performance, impactful kind of organization. So before I go any further, let me introduce Deanna to the audience. (laughs) And I already gave a little bit of it. But one of the things I think people always want to know, particularly from a career and leadership point of view is, how did you land where you are now? Tell us something about you that made it so that you were on one direction working for corporations, and then you decided that you're going to take a step out here. How did you make that? What was your career path? So Denise, you know, sometimes we talk about career path and I often make the joke, like sometimes you'll be able to talk about it like a ladder or they'll talk about it as like, you know, I was on this, on this pathway. And I, I think that the best image of what my career has looked like is more like a subway map. You know, if you can imagine it, it's got all these different places you can get on and off. There's all these places when you look at the map that don't necessarily go anywhere. There's places where, you know, it's got a lot of color. It moves really quickly. Like to me, that's the best depiction of what my career path has looked like because I have done things in a number of different sectors. I've had leadership roles in education, in philanthropy, in the law. You know, I mean, you could just technology. I started a technology company. (laughs) I I can barely get my computer on, but I started a technology company, right? So really just a host of different things. Even the company that I operate now, Flying Elephant has four social enterprises. I mean, we have a a healthcare arm, we do a leadership arm, we have our diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and we have a children's book imprint. So again, a, a vast, you know, kind of array of different things. And so a lot of times when people look at my LinkedIn profile or look at my bio, they think, what is wrong with her? What is she doing? Why is she in all these different spaces? But I hope that within just a couple of seconds, you start to see where the connection is and that connection all comes back to me to this idea of purpose. I have had the great fortune of knowing from a very young age that my purpose was to shift power to marginalized communities. So the thing that pulls all those different like sectors together, all those different leadership roles together that, you know, makes my choo-choo train move through that subway, that subway path (laughs) that empowers it, is this idea of how can I given the experiences I have, the opportunities I have, really the background, how can I make sure that we're shifting more power to marginalized communities? And that's really where my DEI work is rooted. It's where my leadership work is rooted. It's where I start every conversation with every client. Great, great, great. That's an interesting background and this whole idea about leadership. When did you know that you were a leader? I think that I get to learn that every day. And it's a new learning every day, right? Because I don't think that being a leader is something that's static. I don't think that it's something that, you know, you kind of achieve and then all of a sudden you every day, you're just kind of going to show up in that leader space. It is something that is constantly evolving. And so Mm -hmm. I would say, I'll tell you the moments where it becomes clear to me. I think one of the biggest moments where I feel like, oh yeah, I do have some leadership skills is when I get to be a part of somebody else thriving, right? So the minute that I get to say like, or someone says back to me, like, I didn't think I could do that, but I did it. Deanna, thanks for believing in me or thanks for giving me the opportunity or thanks for being a shoulder for me to cry on or, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or somebody mm-hmm. that I can even celebrate with. I think it's in those moments that I feel the most like a leader. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the other moments where I feel the most like a leader are the moments where I get to share how I have failed. 
So it's kind of the, on the one end, it's like moments I get to celebrate along with other people, but it's also the moments where I could be like, oh my gosh, let me just tell you, I hit my head up against that wall and it hurt so bad. Yes. I mean, let, yes. me show you, let me show you the bruise. You know, let's not go to this wall again. Yeah. Let's go yeah. find another wall <laughs> or let's yeah. go try something different. Find another yeah. door, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. So I think those are the two moments where I feel the most like I'm a leader when I can help and be along to celebrate somebody else moving further. And when I can also be like, uh-uh, not this way. This hurts. Let's try something different. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And thank you for sharing that other side. You know, you're going to bump your head a lot and hopefully you don't crack it open. But occasionally you do wind up bleeding all over the place, right, with it. And that's the piece that most people don't talk about. They make it sound like, you know, follow these four steps, six steps, eight steps, and everybody's going to love you and they're going to follow you and it's going to be a great ride. And, you know, the only challenges you have is business-oriented challenges, right? Yeah. Actually, if I could share something with you. So one of the things that I do in my free time, fun free time, I don't know what this, but I call it my fails of So Mm -hmm. I have been trying to work with HR professionals to get this to be, instead of us like saying, Hey, could we get your resume? Like instead being like, no, could you give me your fails of Because honestly, I think it's the things that I have failed at and like the big fails, right? Like that have been the most illuminating for me, the places where I've grown, I've grown the most. So yes, I'm on a little bit of a mission to, to get people. I have a whole series on just how much I failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how good mm-hmm. I have a feeling. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And trying something else. You know, I call it the measured risk take. You know, it's it's something that there's a chance it's going to fail, but you know, what was your blooper around that? And more importantly, what did you learn from it? Oh, so yeah. l- let's transition into in the world of leadership and mentoring and trying to help traditionally marginalized groups, whatever that is, there's all this talk about allyship and what it means to be an ally. And off camera, off the podcast, you and I have had a conversation around we're in organizations. And yes, we need individuals to be able to do it, but how do organizations really begin to build a culture where we're supporting the growth and development of all kinds of people? That allyship shouldn't be just limited to an individual sponsor or an individual mentor or individual kinds of things. But this whole thing in, of you know, HR needs to reinvent itself around managing a culture where allyship is inclusive. It is for everyone and that everyone has a reasonably equal chance of if they put the effort in and what are the rewards for putting that effort in. Can you talk about what you've learned wraps around that and why is it so hard? You named it, right? One of the reasons why it's so hard is because we don't think about it from a strategic standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I like to, you know, think about this for any kind of thing that we're trying to build within our culture. Like if we're trying to build mentorship, if we're trying to build in performance reviews, what do we do? We come up with a plan. We designate resources towards it, not just money, but also people's time. We put energy, we measure ourselves. And so I think a lot of times when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, allyship included in that, but a lot of other things, you know, included in that bigger umbrella of the conversation, we often think like, oh, but that's where our heart is, right? Those are the things that we we just should do. And because we just should do them, they can't be things that we can bring into our strategy or our strategic planning. Those are just the things that, yeah, it comes back to the individual. And that's just not the case. That's just not how this works. And so one of the biggest things that I think we can do is to explicitly and with intention, bring it into our strategic planning process. 
Because if we do that, not only are we elevating it to the place where we say, oh, this isn't just a nice to have. No, this is essential to who we are. But then it also makes us start to think about how we're deploying our resources in a much more meaningful way. So I think the very first thing to do is to move it away from this. Oh, it feels kind of good. It's this little tangential you know, thing that sort of happens through osmosis into, no, this is a part of our strategic planning. And we take it with the same amount of importance that when we look as what we look at with our finances as what we look at from our brand, as what we look at from what our products are going to look like, that we really incorporate it into who, into our DNA. It's interesting because in my line of work with a lot of my clients, they don't know how a strategic plan actually operates. They understand goals and they understand objectives. They can do those kinds of things. But to, you know, a strategic plan should be something that paints the picture of the future out there and and perfection and the impact and that kind of thing. Where would I start? I've got a plan. I know what I'm conquering the world on X, Y, Z. But how do I think about incorporating that from a strategic point of view about people? Yeah. So this is something we see all of the time, right? How do I do this? What does this look like? And I think a lot of it is because it is something that's often outside of people's comfort zone. I've been having wonderful conversations, especially since we now teach the professional certificate for diversity, equity, and inclusion at the business school for UW-Madison, having lovely conversations with business schools around the country about how we can bring some of this learning in front of our MBA students, in front of the people who are leading the industry. But it isn't something, right, that a lot of people, you can go through your whole MBA program and never have a conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, and what that means and how important that is for culture. And so- Or leadership or people management, period. Right. A lot of things, right? And so what ends up happening is that this is completely outside of people's comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what has to happen is actually getting to a place where you can kind of skill up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's one thing that's often missing is just the skilling up of the people who are responsible and understanding what that means and what that looks like and what that looks like on your particular team. Some people can have a chief diversity officer. Some people can't. That I understand, right? It's all based on where we are in our own journeys too. But at the same time, just even if you don't have a CDO, having that skill set represented in your strategic planning is important, right? You wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't go, for example, into your tax season without bringing somebody in who was a CPA, right? You just wouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Right? That, that mm-hmm. would seem really foolish. Well, I think it's the same thing here. We need to make sure that we're bringing the right talent to the table to help us with some of these decisions. Because again, if we're thinking about it from a strategic standpoint, we have to own that there's expertise that goes along with this. I think the second thing is, is that like people don't know where to start. And so a lot of times what that will do is you'll say like, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't even know where to start. I get like, or I'm going to try and do everything. Both of them are problematic. And so one of the things that we developed as a team to help our clients understand where they are and where they want to put their emphasis is actually a free resource. So if you're interested in this, you can go to our website. It's upliftingimpact.com. We created a framework. And within the framework, there are nine different components. It's really around people, practices, and operations. But if you look at those three areas, and that's what makes up a strategic plan, right? Your people, your practices, and your operations. But if you go through this assessment, it allows for you to identify the areas where you could put a little bit more emphasis in order to see some results on the other end. And so we've tried to find ways and give tools and give them freely, right? That's a free tool to give them so that people can get away from this. Oh, it's so overwhelming. I'm not going to do anything. And oh, I want to do everything. And then I'm going to burn myself out and really be able to kind of focus in on where you're going to be able to see the most impact. 
Yeah, and I think that you hit the nail on the head, to use an old, old saying, in that for the most part, I think people get stalled out with, I have too many options, not enough options. And how do I prioritize that against all the other things that I have to do? And that resource that you're talking about, I'm sure connects that dot of, this is what we have to do to keep the business growing and moving, but how do we do it from a way that we're focusing and setting priorities that are going to move the needle on it. So from another thought about that, once you get kind of some momentum or you get the, hey, we really need to start doing something different. One of the things I've noticed is, is that CEOs and chief diversity officers have about the same timeline length of service in many companies, and that's just about three years. And we see the kinds of issues with sustainability Every time you change a leader out, you lose momentum on sustainability. It happens. It's a hot market. This is a topic where people are going to go. It's really hard work. It's hard on the person who's the chief diversity officer because they're really the change agent 100% of the time. You know, as you talk and you teach and you work with clients, how do you help them build that kind of sustainability of the momentum? A lot of the things that you mentioned is some of the the challenges. I think one is making sure that we are resourcing our chief development officers, our diversity officers in a way that is going to allow for them to stay in their roles. You know, I think there is this notion of, you know, people are leaving because they can get better opportunities and then, yeah, that's going to be the case with any role. But I think with this role, I see it quite often that it's not just that. The other reason why people are leaving is because they aren't getting the resources, but all of the challenges show up at their door, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, can you make this fundamental change to our organization? We've been around for 100 years. we got 35 million people in the company, and we need for you to talk about the most challenging issues and bring everybody along. And could you get it done yesterday, right? Oh, and by the way, we're not going to give you any budget. You're not going to get any staff. And we need you to do it in four 60-minute sessions. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever the parameters might be. And it becomes really taxing because I think that there is this component of it that is part of the heart, right? We talked about how this isn't just the heart, but that is a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, wrapped up in a lot of people's social identities also. And they want so desperately for it to be effective. And so it can be really challenging day after day coming into a space where you feel like I got to get all the way to the top of this mountain, but I have no equipment. I have no team. I don't know where the trail starts. It's taxing. So keep going into that point. But I do think that one of the things we need to do if we're thinking about sustainability is thinking about the people that we have in these roles and how we're making sure that they are resourced appropriately. So that's one thing, right? And giving them some clear direction, coming back to that idea of strategic planning and all of those things, I think is really critical because when you have somebody in this role and they are rocking it out, you owe it to them to do that because it is the kinds of things that are transformational for your company and really your sustainability as a whole in the marketplace. You know, you see all these people leaving and the great resignation and all that. The companies who are not experiencing the hurt of that are the ones who have been making investments in the people. All the way up until now. All the way up until now, right? And so I think that's one thing. Before you move to the next one, so we know this is a situation. And one of the things that popped in my mind as you were saying it is that you've become, I can hear in you and I know you, that you're adept at when confronted with, hey, here's the mountain. You have no equipment, no money. And oh, by the way, I need you to fly up there with a jetpack you've never used before. 
how do you construct that conversation that is poignant enough to get somebody's attention, but not over the edge of, did you just hear what you told me? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so I think that one of the the big things is the education component of what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Because again, I don't know. I come from the school of thought that we are not here trying to make other people's lives miserable, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe there are people who wake up every day thinking about that, but I feel like for the most part, we're out here doing our best with what we have, with what we know. And everybody kind of has their own way of trying to make all the things come together at the end of the day. And so that is like assuming best intentions. I think sometimes it's just, oh, I just didn't know. I had no idea what this was going to take. I haven't done this before. Right. And so I think one of the things that I try to encourage CDOs is one, I listen because I Mm -hmm. think it's just a lonely spot sometimes to be in. So I do really appreciate being able to be that, to pick up the phone and be the other person on the other end to just listen, like, here's what you're going through. No, that's not reasonable. No, you're not out of your mind for feeling this, just kind of being there as a resource. I think that's one of the things I actually I get some joy in because I I want them to have a vessel where they can go to for that. Right. But I think the other thing is just like making sure when I talk to them saying, okay, where are the educational gaps in the people that you're talking to? What is making them think that this is reasonable or what might they need to know in order to understand what a big lift this is? Like, do they need to talk to another peer who's been there before them? Do they need to spend some time listening to some of the people within your organization? Or is there a recent survey that you've done around the culture of the organization that you could help illuminate, that would help illuminate some of the points that you're making and maybe the gap that you have and where you want to be and what your values say and, and where you currently are today? And so we kind of go through like all these different tools that either exist already within their organization are things they can pull in externally. And Denise, honestly, one of the things is even bringing in somebody who has an outside perspective to say, this is where you're trying to get, this is where you are. Let me give you some other case studies of what it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's always like this moment where I love being in the room with the chief diversity officer and with, you know, maybe our client or the CEO or whatever, where there's this moment like, Oh, okay. I get it now. So that's what I think needs to happen is that you're right. It has to be a conversation. I think it has to be not from the perspective of the person who's doing the work, but really from the perspective of the person who might be confused or doesn't really understand or and thinking about, okay, what is going to be the thing that's going to move them along? It's persuasion 101. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you hit it on the nail, even as leaders. And when I talk about leaders and creating that high-performance organization, it's not your perspective. Those are the invisible intentions. Don't make people read your mind. And don't assume that they actually can read your mind and know your experiences and what it actually takes. So, okay, the first thing you were saying, and I apologize for interrupting, but too often we just kind of go through this. And so, okay, now I'm thinking from this person's point of view. And now I've reached out and I've kind of pressure tested it with other people who are in a similar situation. So I need to think about it from that. I need to have a network of people or a trusted advisor who I can actually bounce the idea of how should I present it? This is kind of our culture. This is what it looks like. Okay, now I'm ready. Now what's next? So I think after you've done that, then the, the question is, 
what is going to be the pathway forward, right? And how are we going to create enough of a strategy that we understand where we're going, but also building in enough flex that allows for us to adjust as we move forward. And so I think that that's the other component you know, is, is again, sometimes we get so fixated into the programming, we can yep. program the mess out of inclusion, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we are, we are program, but what we don't kind of bring alongside that. And this is the sustainability piece is we don't bring alongside what are the ways that we are actually including all of the different organizations or components of our organization in the work that we're doing. So it becomes its own little, like, it sits over here, it's doing its thing. It's really, you know, it's moving forward, but it's not necessarily, maybe some people from finance are coming. Maybe some people from marketing are coming. Maybe I have a huge group of HR coming, but you know, it's still this, its own little thing. It's not really embedded in all of the different ways that we function as an organization. It's become a program. It's become an event, yeah. it's become a club, but it hasn't become a culture. Yeah. And I think that's the other component of the sustainability piece is that when it's really working, and, you know, I love chief development, uh, diversity. I keep saying development officers because I'm going to like, but I, I, I love chief development officers too. You know, they're the ones who are keeping all of our nonprofits running. But when chief diversity officers shift, really with an organization that's successful in their inclusion plans, it should be okay. They should be able to weather that shift because it should be embedded inside of the cultures of all of the departments in the organization. And so I think one of the things that I've had a lot of joy in doing, especially over the course of this last year, we've had a number of clients who have come to us from the manufacturing world. And what I think we've realized and what they've realized too, is that a lot of their, you know, DNI work was work that was being done at the corporate office in the admin office, but not necessarily yep. on the floor. Right. Yeah. And you can take that, you know, we have a huge retail client. You could take that what's happening in the stores. You can right. take that, you know, from it, there's so many different ways, right? Sometimes the top of the house or the, I don't know how you want to describe it. Right. But the, right, the right, right. It should, it, but I think you said it first, right. First is it's the corporate group is right, doing corporate. stuff. But the satellites, yeah, the location. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, you know, if you think about it from a global perspective, we have a number of wonderful global or international organizations. The main hub of the organization gets it and they're doing all these things and they've got, but then you start to go out into the different countries and they're like, wait, we have diversity and inclusion. Oh, you all talk about this. I've never heard about this. I don't know. And so, so what does that look like too? It's not even just within the business lines. It can also just be, you know, regionally or geographically, how we're thinking about this. And so I think the other component of sustainability is making sure that you are building it as a cultural infusion, not as some separate program that people can or cannot come to. Yeah, it's very interesting when you talk about the global. I had a guy, his name is Glenn Watson. He's an international consultant, lives in Spain and Germany and all this other stuff. And he says when he's doing this work, it's always interesting that the Spaniards think that the Germans do something different and it's always a us-them. And then they look at the U.S. and it's a us-them. He said people from New York think Dallas, Texas is a them out of it. And so there's this kind of natural reaction that we all have of if you're not in my camp, you're in that camp over there, this us, them kind of thing. And so that's what makes diversity so interesting, but also such a complex point of view. And it really boils down to, I think, one of your first comments about, we have to think about it from the point of view of the other person. 
and not from trying to change them, but to understand their perspective and then fill in and bring them along with us so that it is sustainable, that they see that it's no us, them, it's all us. And the process might say, well, we do that different in you know, San Francisco versus New York versus Spain versus Tokyo versus that kind of thing. But it's always kind of the same process if we're really looking for sustainability. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the other thing is that we're also inviting in, right? So if we think about how we typically go about our business, I think one of the cool things about thinking through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens is you get to bring in different perspectives. You get to go about building what those processes are in a different kind of way. And so it's super fun to turn those on the head, right? And say, wait, normally we just throw things out at you and we expect you to take these processes. But actually, if we're thinking about it from a more inclusive lens, here's what we're trying to get to. How would you get there? Okay, let's build something together. And that, to me, that's the most fun. Well, you know, I have a bunch of questions. I'm not going to go into all my questions. In it. And one of them is this idea of, you know, when you're the first, the only, the one in terms of marginalized group coming in, you come with all this background and of how you think it's going to be. And sometimes that gets in the way of us really feeling supported or being part of the lens or how to navigate being the first, the only, or the one in an environment. Do you have any tips for those individuals who might find themselves in that and just learning how to navigate through that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is if you feel like, or you are the first, the only is to find somebody else right? Mm -hmm. To to find your network of people, your crew, if it's outside of your organization, whether that's in a professional association, because it's no fun being all by yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we don't understand the psychological and physical and mental toil that can really have on us as individuals. I think as I grow wiser, older, right? And the different spaces that I've been in, I realize just how valuable it is to have that network, whether that's something I had to create or something that existed, you know, where, where I walked into and oftentimes it didn't exist where I was at. So I think that's a skill set, and I would highly encourage it. Find your crew. If you have to put it together, put it together, but find that crew. Cause it's important to have and, and put them in your speed, your speed dial, your speed text, you know, start the text message chain, whatever you have to do. Cause we need to feel that support. I think the second thing is to really think about, and I would say this is, you know, regardless of if you're the only one or where you are in your thing, is to think about what is it that you are going to use to measure your success? I think Mm. too often we get tied up in how somebody else might evaluate us. And that's important. I mean, that's, you know, I have two children. It's important to know what their teachers are going to grade them on and how their teachers are going to grade and understand what that process is. But I'm much more concerned as their parent about how they are evaluating themselves because they're going to move on from that class, right? You're going to move on from this role. You're going to move on. So how is it that you are measuring what your impact is in the world? And how do you get clarity on that? The other book I wrote was called The Purposeful Hustle. And it's really all about that, right? I started this conversation talking about my purpose. I wake up in the morning, like, what am I going to do to shift power today? And I go to sleep thinking, did I do anything today? Yeah. Yeah. So I measure, I measure my day. And I think that what that does is it just grounds me in a reality and it grounds me in legacy, right? It grounds me in something that's just way, way, way bigger than the ups and downs that will inevitably happen no matter what business you're in, Mm -hmm. right? Or how your career takes a turn. Yeah. All of that is going to be, that's not, you don't really get to control that, but you do get to control 
the decisions that you're going to make around how you show up. And mm-hmm. so I think that understanding what your purpose is, knowing it, being able to articulate it is incredibly, incredibly important in one's career path. I've got a book coming out in May. <laughs> Another one, I should say. May I should say It's not the first. This <laughs> It's called Action Speak Louder. The book is coming out with Penguin Random House, May 31st. It's already out there. So if you want to pre-purchase it, you can. And we'd appreciate the support. But the book has a lot to do with what we were talking about here today, Denise. I think, again, that there are a lot of people who are really passionate about trying to bring their workplaces into being the most inclusive they can be. But sometimes it's just like, I got a million things to do. I don't know what this looks like. I'm not sure what I can actually do. And so the book is a very user-friendly guidebook on what you can do on all of the big areas that we talked about, hiring, retention, onboarding, right? What does that look like? How do I hold meetings in an inclusive way? It's set up to be there for leaders who want to do this in a meaningful way and they want to do it. They want to talk about it. They want to be about it. That's mm-hmm. what the book is for. Good, good, good. And they, of course, it's at all the reg- the places to go, like Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, online, all of that good stuff like Everywhere. that, right? All Everywhere. right, good. <laughs> if, it always goes faster than I want it to go. And how can people get a hold of you? Oh, well, I would love to stay connected and really continue the conversation. The best place to do that is on LinkedIn. So please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. In addition to that, you can always go to our website. It's upliftingimpact.com. We have a podcast that we come out with every week where we talk to people all over the world who are also change makers in this space. So you can join us on the podcast. So lots of different ways, but choose one because I would love to be able to, to stay connected with you. Great, great, great. Okay, guys, you heard it here first. Another amazing person that I hope that you will reach out, get introduced to, and you will follow her on all the social media platforms out there. And with that, you know what I'm going to say. If you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I promise you it will generate a conversation where you will get something out of it and those who you're in relationship will too. And with that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.